doing dig here for three nights has been more fulfilling for me than any other project I've done. What is going on at the Stables Theatre? I'm Stuart Bailey and I've been talking to Chris New. The competitive nature of the acting profession means that actors tend not to discuss technique between themselves. But for Chris, who these days is taking much more direct control over his career, learning is an important part of the process. He's been running a hugely popular series of actors' workshops at the Stables Theatre in Hastings recently, encouraging his students to talk openly about process. I tell them I'm learning more than they are, he says. With a successful career on stage and in film, Chrissy's second play, Dog Song, will take to the stable stage later this month. And in this latest in our series of interviews with Chris, he discusses not just the success of his workshops, but he considers some of the wider issues affecting the acting profession in general. You, you talked in the previous interview about your love of teaching, mm. but you said some really interesting things. Um, you know, the, you know, in general, actors don't talk about how they act. They don't talk about the process. Um, but you, you, you're quite passionate about teaching and, and communicating. Um, so how have, you, how, have, how have you found the workshops here and how have you found the response from the people who've, who've come to them? So I started teaching because I wanted to learn how to act. I knew how to act well sometimes, but it seemed random. I'd do really well in one play and then not do well in another. And the variables seemed too many for me. So I wanted to pin down what I did, how I did it, and therefore increase the probability that I could do it well often. So I thought, if I start teaching, then I have to communicate. I have to pin down what I'm doing in order to communicate it. So that actually made you yeah. examine what you were doing. And I used to say to people at the Actors' Centre, I used to say, thanks for coming, I'm learning more than you are. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're teaching me a lot more than I'm teaching you. And that was probably true. I'd read loads of books about acting from various schools of thought, you know, like from the American kind of Strasbourg, Stella Adler world. And then you had less, then you had like David Mamet's book which is much more like matter of fact just get on and do it just learn your lines just get on you know and then other books like uh peter some of peter brooks books books by directors and then obviously i'd worked with lots of different directors who had different experiences i'd talked to some of them about it like talking to richard air because richard air used to be an actor so he's got very particular you speak to katie mitchell who's never been an actor her relationship to actors is completely different um very very different so the teaching here it's been really good it's much more it's much less me working it out as i go and much more me being trying to be as clear as possible about how i communicate and how i frame the course in order to give them the right journey the majority of the people i've worked with here have been very trusting in listening to me, understanding what I'm trying to communicate. But the good thing is that I can show it in the class. I can show how it works. And then now they've seen me perform. So the proof was in the pudding. 
So a lot of my students afterwards, I said, you know, do I do the things that I say I do? And they were like, yeah, you definitely do. And I was like, good. Okay, it's good. always really encouraging when you see a teacher or a coach actually do yeah. what they tell you to do. Yeah, it there gives was, you confidence. Yeah, there was one teacher at um, RADA who taught me verse and whose verse teaching I now teach here. And he, they did like a teacher's performance evening at RADA once a year, a kind of charity thing. And he did a poem, at the thing, and his po- his poetry recital was absolutely spot on. And you were like, yeah, okay, yeah, you really do know what you're talking about. Um, so yeah, I'm teaching verse here. I'm teaching proper verse speaking. That's one thing that no one talks about at the RSC. You do not dis- discuss it. Which is, I, I, I know. Given it Shakespeare, that yeah. would be central. It's insane. Absolutely insane. No one ever mentioned verse at the RSC. Whereas before, when Peter Hall was running the place, when it was that kind of golden era of Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, Judy Dench, all of those, you know, that whole 60s generation they were all masters of verse and they were absolutely obsessed with it. And um, once you get the speaking of verse, Shakespeare unlocks completely. Mm. So I've done this last month, I've done four classes with, with a smaller group of actors teaching them how to do proper verse speaking. And they've really taken to it well. They've learned much quicker than I did. It took me weeks to get it, and they got it straight away. They were just like, poof, in. So they're all working on their own, either sonnets or speeches. But it's just so clear. When you do verse speaking properly, it's just so clear. And um, the text becomes... Comes alive. Yeah, it becomes a living creature rather than a museum piece that's being reheated. I remember you said that going back to your college days, you had a, a lecturer who taught you how to read a play, mm. and that once he had done that, that really unlocked things for you at that, at that stage. Yeah. Yeah, He's he gave me a Beckett play when I was 15, 16, and taught me how to read it. I read it first, and I had no fucking clue what it was about. I was like, what? And then he just taught, he gave me, he gave me a really simple bit of advice. He said to me, just read it, don't think anything while you're reading it, and when you've finished, just close the play and just wait. And the and play then it hits you. Yeah, and the play will just tell you what it's about. And I went, okay, and then I went home and I read it. I did what he said and it really did. But performing that play was the first time I had that experience of having a separate journey from the audience. Mm-hmm the audience reaction to that play was extremely strong whereas my journey through the play was just oh I can't really remember this line what's that bit oh god but there was a massive disjunction between my experience of the performance and the audience's experience of it and that gave me the biggest clue about how it works I mean you describe teaching as as like magic like witchcraft Mm. when, when when it comes right um, have you have you 
found that here? Yeah, so we did um, we did the first the first group we did of mainly monologues, a couple of duologues, but the first big acting group we did, we did a performance on the stage, and we just made it very very simple, and my main theme with all of them was to keep everybody very calm and very relaxed and just to speak plainly and they were all absolutely brilliant and I was so impressed with all of them I was just like bloody hell because they were all just very calm very clear with acting all you need to do is present something clearly like if I speak now in a clear way I'm presenting something vocally into the ear of the person listening now and I'm making it present tense and that's all you have to do I think you you said it's about sharing a moment that cannot be repeated yeah which yeah. is a very personal thing between the actor and the audience if they're doing mm. that yeah the first time I noticed that was when I saw Mark Reinitz do Jerusalem and he came out in the first scene, bursts out the caravan and then just does a handstand and dips his head in a bucket of water. And I was like, there it is. That's the moment you want him to do again. But that was meant to be the thing with Olivier. He'd create physical moments like being caught by the legs mm -hmm. where you'd go, oh my God, do that again. Um, you know, and you can imagine with Chaplin that same, like the physical magic of it, like edging towards chaos and then just being yeah. able to snatch it. That's what audiences really love. If you can turn it physical, I suppose it puts some jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. An audience likes that. Yeah. You you also said last time we spoke that you know, no one's a bad actor. It's it's about the way you approach them and the way you you get the most from them. Mm. I don't think anybody's a bad actor. You can get in the way of it though. You can really build some by trying too hard, or just by being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> you can just be a twat. Those people seem to opt out of the course quite quickly mm. because there's not much room for that as soon as the person as soon as the student discovers that it's not about it's not about showing off and being the center of attention but it's about the opposite which is disappearing and stepping outside stepping outside of the dynamic so that the dynamic is between the the subject of the play and the audience and not the actor in the audience that's when you get some, when you have a person who's able to do that, that's when you get the correct connection. But a lot of people foolishly think that the main relationship on stage is between the actor and the audience and whatever the text is, is just the vehicle. Mm -hmm. to f but it's not at all. Is that why you you talked about actors don't talk about how to act they, they very rarely talk about the process you know that's mm. a, a, a forbidden subject that that seems strange to me because surely 
by talking about the process, by talking about how to act, you you improve. Yeah, that's I think what you're trying to do to improve the actors here. Obviously, understanding yourself improves your ability as an actor. Mm. So, why do you think actors more widely reluctant to look terribly deeply at how they do things? I think it's because all actors are employed. And so they all feel that they're in competition with one another. And so they don't want to share anything. Because if they share, that person will take that and get a job over them. I've noticed it majorly, the dynamic shifts. Now because I'm making my own work and I'm not being trying to be employed by anybody, I've lost all of that insecurity that comes with that. Gives you some freedom. Yeah, because I just don't, like, go and be a great actor. I'll be it in my place and you be it in yours. Go on. It's not a zero-sum game anymore. There's so many... The acting world is so insidiously competitive. Like, people will try and fuck you up at auditions and, like, try and just say things to slightly get in your head and ruin things. It's horrible. Is that just because there are so many actors and so few Yeah, parts? there's just so many actors, yeah. And even in rehearsals, people will be trying to one-up each other, trying to upstage each other, trying to create a performance that sucks all the energy out of the scene so that they get, they seem more important as an actor. Well, just coming back to what you said literally a couple of seconds ago about you people, it not being about being the star of the scene, it's about melting into the background, being part of the... Of, what you're suggesting there is that actors are doing exactly the opposite of that. Yeah, a lot of a actors, lot of, a lot of exactly actors see themselves as brands, yes, rather than artists. Yeah. So there was one actor I worked with, and he just, he just wouldn't shift from his brand. And the director was like, I'm <laughs> trying everything to try and get something out, to try and, or at least expand the breadth of what was mm. coming out of him. And he just wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. Is that because it was the fear that if he did shift from the brand he'd obviously carefully crafted, mm. that would make it more difficult to go on and do other things? I'm not sure. Oh, he just or, got or so blinkered. Just, he just thinks he knows best. Yeah. You know, and that's it, that's it, you know. Yeah. I'm a successful actor and I know best. Yeah. And that's just silly. I mean, coming back to your your own work as an actor, um, and going back to when you when you left Rada, what of the first things you did was was bent with Alan Cumming. Mm. Um, what, at the time you did that, was Alan Cumming as big a star as he has become, or was he on his way to be? He was, yeah. He because he'd done all the. That was the first play he was doing coming back to London after having done everything with Cabaret and becoming like an American star. So you, so, so you were going into a piece with, with someone with, with a big name? Yeah, yeah. It was meant to be Benedict Cumberbatch doing it with him. But Benedict dropped out quite late in the, in the game. So I, I bumped into him once. And I thanked him for my career. <laughs> I said, thank you for dropping out, because I got the job. Um, so, yeah, it was meant to be Alan Cumming and Benedict Cumberbatch, and Benedict didn't do it. So I, so the director, 
had se- I had just done my final shows at RADA and the director had seen me and pushed to get me into that show. And I had to audition for all the backers. Wow. I had to do like five or six auditions or so. Sonia Friedman staring at me very intently, inspecting me. Some American backers had to fly over and inspect me to see if I was up to scratch. And I got the part. Um, it was strange because I'd never had any plan beyond... There, there was, I think, subconsciously in me, the only plan was to get to a point in my acting career where I believed I was a proper actor. And as soon as I'd done that, which was straight away, I had no ambition and no interest, to be honest. So was doing something as big as that right at the start, was that potentially bad for your career? Or do you wish you'd built up to that more gradually? No, I don't. I think that's quite a good thing because it broke loads of illusions straight away. I saw what it was like to work with famous people. I worked second fiddle to famous actors for a a whole series of plays. Um, And so I worked with very different people. I got exposed to a lot of stuff very fast. And I just discovered that I just wasn't interested in a lot of the things that they were interested in. And things like going to, like getting nominated for awards and things, all stuff like that, very quickly. I think the hardest thing was that I had to work out why I wasn't interested in those things. Mm. And I just wasn't. Mm. I just didn't care. And that's not really something that you've really fully become aware of until you're. you're you diagnosis yeah a little bit but also I just I think secretly in the back of my mind I just always wanted to make my own stuff mm. but I didn't know how I didn't know what about and so there was just no possibility of that occurring but I, f- I think I always felt that creating the stuff I always knew that I had to be more involved than being an actor. Being an actor and being recognised and being like, that doesn't interest me at all. I like not being recognised by anybody ever. That is great. Mm. I do not enjoy being spotted in the street. When I made a film, and that did quite well, I started to get spotted places and I, I found it extremely uncomfortable, intrusive, um oppressive I didn't like it at all I did not enjoy it and I didn't I did I knew straight away that that's not what I wanted my life to be like but you don't like filming either do you not Not really I mean it's not an enjoyable it's rarely an enjoyable process for me is that because you don't get the that immediate response from the audience um No, it's because you're. It's because as an actor, you're just. You're just constantly trying to fulfil other people's dreams, so you're just trying to hit marks for other people. But I, I only want to hit my own marks. I've directed films, and that was much more engaging. Mm. I enjoyed that. Writing films, I enjoyed, but acting in them was just dull. Dull, dull, dull. 
And the, the process. Some people love it though. But the process of filming, it's it's sort of like a scene here and a scene there. Mm. Whereas with a, a play on stage, you you you're working that piece from beginning to end. Yeah, and it's hard because you do you do takes and then you know in the in the theatre world you can just do it for months and improve it and work on it but with the takes it's like okay done and you're like what i've only i've only done like i've done it once mm. like that wasn't i wasn't even warming up and they're like too late got it now it's like okay so where you are now um is that where you see your see your future is that how you want to to continue or do you see yourself going back to the west end one day i don't know i'm i'm almost uh, not thinking about that. I the one thing I do know is that doing doing dig here for three nights ha, has been more fulfilling for me than any other project I've done in my whole career. Which is a big statement to make. Yeah, but absolutely true. And is is that because it's it's your own? Yeah, because it's it's all of it's all of my abilities being focused in one thing at one time. Mm. And that, because the majority of the time in the acting world, I'm twiddling my thumbs because mm. I'm not being engaged in the way I need to be engaged. Mm. You know, I could, I could expand my engagement slightly by getting involved in the producing of the show or like um, having a diff slightly different relationship with the director or the tech crew like in text, I used to sit with the crew. I'd sit and watch the text. I'd stay in rehearsals and watch other actors rehearse to keep me intellectually stimulated um, and more engaged in the bigger picture of the production. But so it needs more. You need more than just seeing other people's words. Oh yeah, God yeah. yeah. I need to know the whole world behind it, the whole construction, why everything's there. It's like giant. It's like a giant puzzle mm. for me, in my head. The whole thing's in there. I know, you know, the 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 onset of COVID could have gave you an out, if if you like. You, yeah. you talked about that yeah. being being the thing that allowed you to step back. Obviously, you now have a a, a more conventional day job. Mm. Um, do you enjoy the anonymity that 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 gives you? Yeah, I don't talk about any of my work to, mm. in my normal life. Mm. Although it's a bit harder to hide it now. Because <laughs> a lot of people around here and stuff have now seen it. And lots of people are like, oh, I had no idea this, that's what you did. <laughs> and they came to see it and they were all like, oh, right, okay. Because I just never discussed it. Because it was just, well, was nothing to discuss. Mm. Um... Do you feel being able to step back quite as completely as you were able to, that's given you some fresh impetus? Would, I mean, would you have, would you have done the, the writing? Would you have, would you have been here? Would you have been in the stables if COVID hadn't struck and your RSC work came to an end? No, I would have probably just been jobbing along still and being miserable. Although I did know when I was there that I was miserable and I needed to do something about it before COVID hit. I knew that. I, was, I took myself aside and had a word with myself. And I said, look, you're getting cranky and miserable because you haven't done what you know you need to do. 
and then COVID hit and then it all changed. But um, I was moving towards it. I think I would have probably ended up here in some way. Like a lot of people in the wider world know me for the film Weekend that I made. Mm. And to them, that film is really important. To a lot of people, to a lot of people around the world, that film is very important to them. Mm-hmm. But it's not important to me. Right, okay. <laughs> it was two weeks of it's my life. It was a piece life. of work. It was two weeks. Mm. And people still watch that film. They still message me about it. Still hoping that we're going to make a second one. Doesn't interest me at all. It was two weeks of my life. Didn't Andrew Sachs say that everybody remembered him for Faulty Towers, but Faulty Towers took up six weeks of a 50-year career. So the good thing now, and I've always thought, um, there's always been a thought in my mind, which is like, okay, I'm going to die and I'll be that guy from Weekend. That would be the thing that, (laughs) because there's always one thing that everybody speaks about, Mm -hmm. your highest peak. And at the at the beginning it was Bent. Oh, that he's that guy from Bent. Okay. Then it wasn't. Then it was. Then it was. I don't know. Prick up your ears in the West End or something. And then it was Weekend. And then after that, I was like, I don't think I can do anything bigger than that. <laughs> so it's about being in charge of the narrative of your own narrative of your life, isn't it? But now I feel like I'm in charge of the narrative of my life again. For six months next year, I'm going to walk the plays around the country. So we worked out a route yesterday from Corn Land's End to John and Groats, first of April, finishing the last week of September. But I suppose there's not much set to take. No, you can literally do n- take nothing. Yeah. A body, <laughs> some lights. But then that's making me refine the plays even more, and go like, okay, what's the minimum you need? Yeah. What's the absolute minimum? Like, do I just need one light? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you really need to make a convincing play? Um, I'm going to aim to perform five nights a week at different theatres every night for six months. That's quite an undertaking. Yeah. Creatively, that must... Is that going to be draining? Oh, you get the energy from the, the fresh I think audiences. it'll be fine. Doing the plays isn't hard. Yeah. It's hard for the audience to hear them. (laughs) We set the route out last night in week slots. It's basically something like 45 miles a week or something like that. So we've done 45 miles chunks. And then within those chunks, I've started to find all the venues on that thing. So like art centers, theaters, like little theater guild places like here, or the bigger theaters, like, you know, what will be the biggest venue you, you aim for? Well, I don't know. Like, I'd like to do it at, the, at Stratford, right. the RSC. I'd like to go to all the theatres that I've worked at before, Nottingham Playhouse, um, one of the theatres in Manchester, either Home or um, the Royal Exchange. But then also just do the tiniest. I've got no interest in the size of the stage. It can be massive or tiny. I don't care. I just want to keep performing. I just want to be on a stage every night. That'd be great. Because again, you said last time, that's where you feel at home. Yeah, I don't care if the stage is big or small. Like some people have been a bit snooty. (coughs) Like, oh, it's both. 
<coughs> You're doing it at the stables in Hastings. It's like, yeah, what's wrong with that? And then they get here and they see the stage and they're like, oh, it's nice, this. <laughs> and they're like, oh, God, this is a nice theatre. And it's like, yeah, it is a nice theatre. And there's loads of nice theatres in this country. Finding them and, and using them. Yeah. And so now I'm going to get in touch with them, give them their vague weeks and start to pin everything down. I've got basically, essentially, it's going to be two tours in one because my agent's going to be pushing to do the big houses mm. so he can produce that and he'll get as far as he does with that and he'll take his commission off that and then I'm producing with my other friend the small house mm. tour which is going to happen whether the big house tour happens yeah. or not because the one thing that can happen with big theatres is that you spend months waiting for responses from mm. them and I'm just not going to do that the tour's happening mm -hmm. and if it just so happens that yeah I can do a night at the Royal Exchange because I'm there in July that week and you've got a spare night, then I'll do it. But I'm not going to wait for anybody. Because for the theatres, they're filling one night. Mm. So it's not important to them. It'd be nice. But for me, it's the whole tour. And waiting for answers can jeopardise the whole tour. So I'm not waiting. And it's also doing it, and this is a message that's coming through quite strongly, it's about doing things in your own terms. And also, well, one of the interesting things is I've learnt this from listening to stand-up comedians talk about their careers. So a lot of stand-up comedians used to sign to the big agencies and production houses, do big tours to all the big receiving houses, you know, like the Brighton Theatre Royal, those kind of size theatres, release DVDs, and they'd make no money at all. I think Stuart Lee was one of the first comedians who did it. He fired them and produced the tour himself. And he said he made more money than he's ever made in his life because he just cut out all these people that he was paying yeah. the mortgages off. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lesson there. Yeah, so having the freedom to do it all yourself must be wonderful. Yeah, and just be left alone. And also to work in the way I want to work, because I work very much in my head. I don't do lots of rehearsals. Like I didn't rehearse the plays. I didn't but, sit in a room and rehearse them like you should. But equally as a one-man piece, then you, presumably you can rehearse it as you're driving the car. Because yeah, I do, I do it when I walk yeah, in the dogs, yeah. shouting up in the country park. <laughs> There's a madman here. Yeah, he's this guy talking about the plague. You can now find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search for Stables Theatre Hastings. Then, if you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review. And that way you'll be helping other people find our growing catalogue of podcasts. To book tickets for any show at the Stables... Call the box office on 01424 423 221 or book online at stablestheatre.co.uk.